Praise the Lord. I know that the Lord has truly set us up here today because God is really going to rattle this place with his presence. No doubt about the songs and everything that's been done here today is a confirmation of what he wants to do. This morning, I know my text is a little bit lengthy, but that was due to a reason because I want you to understand in each one of those stories, uh, you begin to see a little bit of different twist or a little bit different viewpoint from the different writers. And I'm going to be using out of each one of those a little bit of the statements uh, of those that wrote it. Uh, I want us to see the difference in these storms and notice the disciples' response uh, and Jesus' response. Uh, first of all, our text describes two different storms that the disciples had faced following Jesus Christ. And no doubt we have all come to the understanding that storms comes to every life, both to the believer and the unbeliever. It comes to the just and the unjust. It comes to the black, the poor, the rich, the young, the old. Storms is just a way of life. It's not a respecter of persons. And matter of fact, when you look in this passage of scripture, we focus upon the ship that the disciples were in, but another scripture tells us that there were many other ships. There were other ships that were facing the same storms that they were faced with. And there are times in your life when you face a storm, you think, man, I'm in this thing all by myself. You're not in it by yourself. There's so many people here today, and I can guarantee you there's a big portion of us in this building that is faced with storms, difficulties, hardships, trials. There's things that is out there to come and blow against us to try to somehow kill our faith. But I think it's important to note that in each of these storms, the disciples had just come off of a high note. In both of the different stories, in both of the storms that they faced, each time they come off of a high note. Most storms follow spiritual breakthroughs or blessings. Do you remember Elijah? One minute he's conquering and he's slaying the prophets of Baal and the next minute he's running for his life due to a verbal threat by one woman by the name of Jezebel that says he's going to kill him and he's going out there in fear, in a state of fear, praying that he would literally die, thinking that he's the only one that is ever, that he's the only one standing up for God. Have you ever felt like that, been all alone and then all of a sudden a storm comes and you think no one understands, no one sees what I'm going through. Well, I want you to understand uh, that we do understand because we've all been there and some of us are even there now. However, blessings uh, has always been the prelude to storms. Have you ever noticed that? Due to God's foreknowledge of our coming storm, he prepares us. He never lets us, he never lets us down. He doesn't leave us to the element of surprise without first warning us and preparing us of what's in ahead of us. It has always been God's design and nature to prepare and warn us for the incoming dangers and he strengthens us because he loves us. I want you to know that. Before the storm ever comes, I want you to know God has already built your faith so that you can face that storm courageously and that you'll face it with confidence and assurance. I want you to know whether you think that you're big enough to handle it or not is not the issue. It's that God knows your load limit and he won't allow you to be tempted more than you're able and more than you're able to bear. So understand if you're facing a trial, you're big enough to go through it and he's already equipped you. You may not realize it, but you're bigger in the spirit than what you think you are. Can I have an amen? However, the storm is also designed by the enemy to try to destroy our faith and ultimately destroy our lives. That's what it's designed to do. He tries to take away the blessings received and make them null and rendered unaffectively. 
He tries to destroy the influence and the reality of the victory of blessing that we have previously received, by because, and he does it by coming to try to steal it. How many knows that the devil is a thief? The Bible says in John 10 and 10, the thief, he says he's a thief, cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. He's not only out to steal your blessing, the ultimate goal of the enemy is to try to destroy you. Isn't it odd that you can be blessed on a Sunday, and by Monday, he's already trying to take your blessing away. You can be touched on a Wednesday, and by Thursday, he's already trying to somehow nullify. He's somehow trying to take the, the victory away from you the very next day. Without denial, we understand that the storms are very real, and they're very serious, and they do try our faith, and they, tr try, and they do try to damage us. Storms are hard. They're frightening, and they're challenging, and they do have bearing on us as human beings. That's the reality of it. They do cause tears. They do cause sorrow. They do cause pain and sadness sometimes. And if we're not careful, they'll even go to another level and they will actually create fear, anxiety, and torment within our lives, which is not the will of God in our storm. Amen. Prior to our text in Matthew 8, we see the disciples following Jesus and they see him heal the leper. They watch him heal the centurion servant of a palsy. They see him heal Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. They've seen him cast out devils and evil spirits. they also seen him heal all manners of sicknesses and diseases right before their very eyes. No doubt these were some exciting times. They were times that revealed Jesus' power and they revealed his ability to perform miracles. How many would have liked to have been there with Jesus when he done those things? See, could you imagine what the disciples just seen right before they go through these storms? So they're going in there seeing miracles. They're going in there seeing healing. They're going in there seeing demons cast out. They're on a high note, man. They're pumped. They're excited. And they reveal that, no, without a shadow of a doubt, that they have been prepared by Christ to face what they're about to face. But it's odd how that you can be hearing the birds sing one minute and feel the warm, gentle breeze of spring and feel the sunshine on your shoulders and it's like a utopia. And then just in a moment of time, the dark billows, clouds can begin to roll in, hurricane winds can begin to blow, and everything around you begins to seek shelter. It's odd how that one minute everything can be fine, and the very next minute it seems that everything's falling apart. Things can change just overnight. Can't change, things can change just that fast. In the snap of a finger, your world can fall apart, and the trials of life can come crashing in on you. As a matter of fact, it can happen by one simple phone call. It can happen by a report. It can happen by circumstances. It can happen by a car wreck. It can happen by a tragedy. It can happen by a position that you have put, been put into. There's all kinds of things that can change your world just like that. We've had that in the last few weeks at my home. Life can be good one minute and it can change in the blink of an eye. This is what exactly happened to the disciples. After all that spiritual high, all that blessing and all that glory, Jesus instructs his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee, which is no big deal. They've crossed that probably a hundred times. But notice that the promise of protection was explicit in the instructions that Jesus gave them. In, a, in the account of the storm, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and we're talking about the first storm, it says, and the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over to the other side. I want you to see how fast the enemy works. Here
here's all this stuff being done. And in the very same day that they seen all these miracles, Jesus says, let's get in a boat. Let's go to the other side. Immediately, the devil is at work to try to steal what God has imparted in your life. Can I have an amen? It's immediate. It's not the next day. He's already got a plan. He's already got a plot. He knows what he's going to try to do. Jesus had already told them to, that they were going to pass over to the other side. In the account of Mark 4.35, it says, And the same day when the evening was come, he said to them, Let us pass over to the other side. Jesus had already predetermined the outcome of their trip. He had already declared that they were to pass over. It was already predetermined by Jesus that they would reach the other side. How many believe that? Amen? Jesus predicted before the storm ever began that they were to pass over and they weren't going to go over but they, were, they weren't going to go under but they were going to go over. And can I just stop and get ahead of my notes? Uh, the storm that's about to approach your life, Christ has already prophesied, predicted the plan. You're not going under. You're going over. Hallelujah. Amen. He's with you in it. Not only were they not going under, but the most comforting phrase is in the words, let us. Let us pass over to the other side. This meant that he was going to be in the boat with them and that they were not going to be by themselves. Let me ask you a question. And I've used this terminology in sermons before. I've preached on this passage probably a hundred times in 35 years. And yet I've never seen what I'm about to get to here in a few moments. But let me ask you a question. Can a boat sink when the Son of God in it? Let me ask you another question. Can a ship go down that has the Son of God as a passenger? Can I remind you here this morning that no matter how bad your storm appears to be, no matter how much water your, your boat's taking on, I want you to know Jesus is in the boat with you. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13 and 5 that he would never leave you, nor would he ever forsake you. Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Here's the disciples coming off the high note and they observe his voice and they get into this ship in obedience. That's what they do. They begin to sail across the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden a violent storm comes upon the sea while they're in the very will of God. Now let me stop and say this. A storm is not an indication that you're out of the will of God. A lot of times people say, well, if you had faith, you wouldn't face any storms. Well, I want to tell you that's a lie. It is the, it is the storm that produces your faith. If you, never had, uh, if you never had a storm, you'd have no need of faith. Amen? And let me tell you, just because you're in a storm does not mean it's not an indication you've done something wrong or you're being punished by God or God's a mean God and all that kind of nonsense. I want you to know if you're in a storm, it's probably an indication you are in the will of God. Can I have an amen? Because the enemy fights those that have something that he don't have yet. Amen? If he has you, there's no sense in fighting you. He's got you bound. But all of a sudden, the disciples begin to panic. And even though they were professional fishermen and they had faced many, many storms out on this old sea before, haven't you, how many has faced trials before? Amen, we all have. We've been in that old sea in that old boat and we faced a lot of trials. But sometimes, well, some trials seem heavier and harder than others. Yet this storm was of a hurricane level and it was one of the worst storms that they had ever faced. This storm was no ordinary storm. It blew up the charts and it hit the high levels of emergency. It was the one that they got on the, the, the television and the radio and said, start boarding up your windows, boys. There's a hurricane coming. And one of the worst things that 
can happen in a scenario like this is panic. They say one of the dangerous rescue operations that there is is when one is trying to save a drowning man who is full of panic. A drowning man will instinctively try to fight and not even realize that due to him panicking, he will even resist help. And in the process, he can pull down not only himself, but he also will drown the one that's trying to help him. As a matter of fact, when I was a young boy, we were down on the St. Francis River swimming and a young boy jumped in and he didn't know it was over his head and he began to drown because he couldn't swim. And I seen him and, I, and the current had got him out in the kind of the away from the bank in the middle of the river and I grabbed him and I was trying to get him by and man, he was trying to climb my head, hitting me and doing, I said, and I was screaming at him, he's about to drown me. I said, man, I'm gonna have to let you go. I'm gonna knock you out. You gotta stop. And we fought and other guys jumped in and we finally got him to the edge of the bank and got him settled. Even when he was in the edge of the bank, he was all scared and everything and still fighting us. I said, man, stand up, stand up. When he stood up, water was only about that deep. He was about to drown in shallow water and he's about to drown all of us because of panic. And let me tell you, we got to watch out how we react to the storm because even though it's the will of God for you to make it on the other side, it may not be the storm that takes you out. It may be you taking yourself out and you can take others with you if you're not careful over your fear and over your panic. Through your panic, you can influence others and cast fear and doubt and unbelief and you can cause them also to drown in, your, in their storm. I want to tell you it is of the most importance how we believers react to the storm and it's important how we speak in the midst of the storm. Can I have an amen? When Jesus said that he would never leave us nor forsake us, there's a difference in between leaving us and forsaking us. I like this. To leave means to walk away from, to abandon or to go away. It's just to turn your back on somebody and walk away and say you're, I'm on, you're on your own. Jesus promises us that he'll never walk away from us or abandon us. But the word forsake not only means abandon, but it means renounce or give up. Now, there's one thing to walk away from you, but it's another thing to renounce you, and it's another thing to give up on you. I want you to know Jesus not only leaves you, but he won't renounce you, and he won't give up on you. Can I have an amen? Somebody ought to give the Lord a praise for that. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to renounce you. He's not going to give up on you. Even in your most horrible condition, he's not going to give up on you. This is where the disciples went wrong. They panicked. They cried out, Master, save us. We perish. This was the plea of their outer man. It was their flesh crying out. How many of you ever had flesh crying out to God? Oh, yeah, we all have. This would have been all right if that's all that they would have said. Matter of fact, because this is the common response when we encounter life-threatening situations. It is the natural thing for us to say, save us, deliver us, help us. It's a natural thing to say, fix this or fix that. The most natural prayer that we can pray is, make this storm go away. Amen? In reality, we're learning more in the storm than we are outside the storm, and he won't take the storm away necessarily all the time. But nevertheless, them are the kinds of prayers that we pray. But the problem with their prayer is twofold. First of all, they had already received the promises of his instructions. He told them that they were going to go over to the other side, and to go over is what he meant. So, but their cry was, and they say, we perish. Now, there is a negative word, and watch out what you speak in the midst of your storm. Out of the tongue, life and death is out of your tongue. It, it's what you speak. 
Matter of fact, Job said, the thing that I feared the most came upon me. Fear can cause things to happen in your life. Amen? And here they showed doubt in the midst of their promise. How many of you have ever had promises of God and then it didn't come through the way you thought it was going to come through as fast as you wanted it to? And all of a sudden, things begin to get difficult. You think that'll never come. And you begin to doubt in the promises of God. We've all done that. Come on, somebody. Shake your head, I'm guilty, you're guilty. If you say you're not guilty, get up the altar and get saved, you're a liar and the truth ain't in you. Amen? Here they showed doubt in the midst of their promise. Here were the disciples having faith that they were going to perish. They believed they were gonna die. While we see Jesus who had faith that they would make it to the other side asleep in the boat. Here is the disciples full of fear saying, hey, we're gonna perish. Jesus has got faith that they are gonna make it on the side. He's sound asleep in the boat. This tells us that Jesus was resting while the disciples were restless and fretting. And, in this, and yet Jesus was in the same circumstance, in the same storm, and in the same boat. And Jesus is not, is he not our example? Then if he's our example, then why shouldn't the disciples, and how many believe the disciples at that time knew that he was their example? Then why in the world are they not following his way of life? Why are they not following his example? Why ain't they asleep? Why ain't they just sit back? Well, if the master ain't worried about it, the Bible tells us to be anxious about nothing. Hello? You know why that Bible says that? Because God says, if God will take care of the little sparrows, will he not take care of you? Come on, somebody. He knows every hair in your head. Mary Lovett, he knows every hair. He knows every one of those beautiful gray hairs in your head. Isn't that wonderful? And when one falls out, guess what? He knows it. The number falls off. Amen. And if God needs to put more hair in it, he can do it. Amen? But I want you to understand here, without a shadow of a doubt, they're panicking, Jesus is resting. While, while one looked at it as a six flags ride and an adventure, the others looked at it as a life-threatening situation. Jesus was in for it for the ride. He was gonna say, woo, this is like a roller coaster. Let's have a good time, boys. Jesus was at a peace in the midst of storm while they felt like they were perishing. And the question I have, are you, are you gonna choose peace today in your storm or are you gonna believe you're gonna perish? That's our choice. Nevertheless, look at the grace and the love of our master. Woo, I love it. I'm gonna get happy here in a minute. This is Jesus rose up out of the, they come crying and they wake him up. Jesus rose up and rebuked the wind and the waves and, and, and we see the storm miraculously subsiding. This, of course, is the, our, all of our desired outcome. All of our prayers that we pray is, oh, Lord, calm the storm. And this is what Jesus did. We pray for miracles that make our storms go away. That's what we all pray for. But strangely enough, in our text, we see no celebration following the ceasing of the storm. In fact, the storyline takes a surprising turn I have preached on this story many, many times, but I have never thought of it quite like this before. I've seen most of what I'm preaching and preached around these thoughts before. But while I was reading a blog from Doug Small, he said, instead of rejoicing, there came a rebuke. And I thought, well, you know, that is true. There wasn't rejoicing. How many times when the storm subsides, we get all blowed up, woo, we have a Pentecostal moment. That did not happen in this occasion. In this occasion, the storm left. Instead of excitement, Jesus gets up and rebukes them. 
Jesus actually rebuked the disciples for what? We say because of their lack of faith. Let's dissect it a little bit. The disciples prayed because they had need, and they prayed because they had faith in him that he could help that need. As a matter of fact, they prayed because, because of faith in him that he could meet their actually need, that he could actually turn things around. That's why they prayed, folks. They believed that he could calm the storm. They believed he had the ability. They believed that he had the power. Why not? They seen him heal the leper. They seen him heal the palsy. They seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. They seen him cast out devils. They seen him heal all kinds of manners of diseases and sicknesses and leprosy and cancers and all that kind of stuff just that very after that very morning. So why couldn't they believe? Then why is there a rebuke and where is the sign of their unbelief and what is it that is he rebuking? Why did they receive a rebuke instead of a commendation? Let me ask you, is it possible at times, this is the thought I, that Doug Small had. He wrote this little paragraph right here. He said, let me ask you, is it possible at times that we're getting answers to prayer, our storms are going away, we have calm sailing, but at the same time we're living under heaven's rebuke because we haven't learned the lesson in the storm that he desired for us to learn. But yet he removes it because he knows we'll perish if he don't, but he loves us enough that he does. And yet we have to then go through that same storm again and early learn the lesson. You'll never bypass storms by trying to take shortcuts. If you don't learn your lessons, you'll be in the same storm the rest of your life. Can I have an amen? Not only did they not believe in promise, but, but by them thinking that they would perish, but I want you to know that even though Jesus said, why are you afraid? Why is it that you have so little of faith? Why are you so fearful? As serious as doubt, fear, and unbelief is. How many knows that doubt, fear, and unbelief is very serious? The children of Israel died in the wilderness and their carcasses fell there because of their unbelief. It's very, very serious. But as serious as doubt, fear, and unbelief is, yet I submit there's a greater underlining principle that's at work here that's even more dangerous than those three elements. We think the natural tendency of the rebuke of the disciples was, because of the, was caused by their fear and their lack of faith to subdue the storm themselves. In other words, why didn't they get up at the bow of the boat and speak into the mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea? We got that authority. Boy, it's quiet in here. Have faith in God. If any man shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and not doubt in his heart in the things in which he saith, he shall have those things in which he saith. Is that not what the Bible says? There's been many of storms that comes into my life, and the way that I've overcome them is look at that storm and just start speaking to it. And you're speaking to me. You're trying to put fear on me. You're trying to ridicule me. You're trying to belittle me. You're trying to take me out. Well, storm, I want you to know I'm bigger than you are. And in the name of Jesus, I don't listen to your voice, but you're going to listen to mine. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I have the victory, so you might as well get out of here. Can I have an amen? If someone's got enough nerve to speak to me, if a spirit's got enough nerve to try to deceive me, I got enough gumption to get right back in his face and say, I will not be deceived. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I stand on solid ground. He is my footing. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my buckler. He is my shield. He is my rear guard. He is my high tower. He's all that he said he would be. I shall not fear because God's given me faith to subdue the enemies under my feet. Ah, oh, somebody stand up and give the Lord praise for that. Come on, somebody give the Lord praise for that. Hallelujah. Let's build our faith here a moment. Yes. 
So we think the rebuke came due to them believing that they weren't going to make it through, that they were perishing. But the real problem, the thing that broke the camel's back was seen in how they mixed their doubt with attack upon Jesus' character. Now hang with me. This is powerful. Here is Jesus at peace, sleeping in the hinder part of the boat with his head on a cushion, all comfortable at ease. He's had a hard day of ministry. He's tired. He's a man. He's physically drained. And while he's doing that, the disciples are up fighting the storm, rolling and toying, trying to keep the boat afloat. Folks, you can't keep your own boat afloat. Your ceaseless work is in vain. Unless the Lord watch over the city, the watchman waketh in vain. Unless the Lord build a house, those that labor, labor in vain. And here's Jesus asleep in the boat. The disciples wake him up shouting, Master, do you not care that we perish? They're actually saying, you don't care that we're going to die. You don't care that we're perishing. We're dying here. Amen? Have you ever felt like you were dying? Have you ever felt like you were going through, going under, it's over, you're done, you're finished, washed up, washed out, washed over? Come on. They were actually saying to him in this prayer, it's obvious you don't care about us. You don't even care about our need or you'd be doing something about this. How many of us pray these same kind of prayers in our moment of trial? How many times do we pray prayers that rise out of a lack of faith in the character of God? What do I mean by that? I submit to you today, prayers that rise out of a lack of faith in the character of God are greater sources of concern to God than those that reflect a momentary lapse in confidence in his ability. Now hang on with me. Jesus can handle your doubt. He can handle and understand your humanity. He can understand your fears because he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Everything you've ever gone through, he's gone through as a man. Jesus can handle even your unbelief in his ability more than you believe in his ability, but believe that he won't. That's serious. Jesus was insulted that they believe he could, but they believe he wouldn't. They actually attacked his character by accusing him that he didn't care. Jesus' rebuke is not focused on a lack of faith that prevented them from dealing with the storm. It wasn't their fear that kept them from, uh, kept them from overcoming the outer storm or the rowdy conditions of the sea that was trying to sink the boat. They believed in his power. That's why they appealed to him in the first place. That's why they prayed. They cried out to him. The story is about the outer storm as much as it is about the inner storm. The problem was the outer storm moved inside them and they lost faith, not in his ability as much as in his character. Why, they say, why, why? Have you ever asked why? Why am I going through this? Some of you lying again. Why, why, don't you care? If you cared, this wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't be facing this. I wouldn't be going through this. What have I done to cause this to come upon me? Come on now. Remember the man that was born blind? They said, who's sinned? His mother, his father, that caused him to be born. Oh, neither his mother nor his father sinned that he he was born blind, that the works of God, that the glory of God might be manifested in him. Oh, hallelujah. Just because something's going wrong in your life don't mean you've sinned, don't mean your parents sinned, don't mean that God's ousted you out. That he's just saying, hey, get ready for whatever you're going through. Glory's about to be revealed in you. 
Oh, man. And the darker the storm, the greater the glory. The heavier the burden, the greater the blessing. Are you not understanding this? Everybody wants to see miracles, but no one wants to be put in the place where they need a miracle. Amen? You can't have a miracle if you don't need one. And here we are in this building, and I've been praying over this congregation, and many others have. There's so much affliction and trial, trouble, tragedy. Tr- just It's unbelievable. And, and, and I've even been asking, why did God begin to rebuke me? Have you ever been rebuked by Christ? I've changed my prayer life a lot since even studying this passage of Scripture. But, you know, this kind of storm is the worst, and the inner storm is deadly to a vital inward spiritual life of of faith. I'm here to tell you today, God not only can, but he will meet your needs, and he will come through for you. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know what 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says? For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, so be it unto the glory of God by us. In other words, he said every promise that God has put out there, he's going to fulfill it. Why? That he might bring glory uh, to himself through us. That's what that scripture says. Hey, I'm allowing you to go through that storm, and if you handle it right and everything's good, you're going to come out of it. When you come out of it, I'm going to get glory in what you've done, and you're going to get blessed. And you're going to learn by your storm. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. Can I have an amen? This means if God makes you a promise, then he cannot and will not break it. Listen to what Hebrews 6.18 says. That by two immutable things in which, was it, it is, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong consolation to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us. Did you hear who can have hope? Those that has fled for refuge. In other words, there's a war. There's a war going on, and they have fled for refuge, but we can have hope. Why can we have hope? Because God can't lie. And if God said, I'm going to be blessed, I'm going to be blessed. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Well, he leads you out into the desert. How's that blessing? Oh, there's a root out of every dry ground. <laughs> there, there's an oasis out in the middle of every desert. There's green grass in every desert. How no? When he fed the 5,000, he set them down in green grass, but it said he laid them out in the desert. Don't make sense. There's pasturing that sheep can eat even in the middle of the desert. So we understand the principle here that God cannot lie. If God has given you a promise, it's impossible for him to lie, and if he promised you something, then you can have a strong consolation and lay hold of the hope that this thing that God has promised is going to come to pass. Amen? Look at 1 Kings 8 and 56. Blessed be the Lord that have given us rest. Say rest. Come to me, all you heavy laden. I'll give you what? Rest. Blessed be the Lord that hath given us rest unto his people Israel according to all that he has promised. There is not one failed word of all of his good promises in which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. With everything that Israel went through under the leadership of Moses, and we could go back and start dissecting, we'd be here half of a day. How many know they faced a lot? Amen? Yet they rested in hope because of every good promise that he promised Moses came to pass. Just like God said it would. And even though the disciples doubted and was fearful, yet we see them answering their prayer. Why did he do that? Can God answer prayers that's been prayed out of doubt? Well, he did here. Why? We know some ain't, but why some 
that even God has mercy on us. You know why? Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you why. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. In other words, even though I can't always fully believe, it's not always up for me to make it happen. It's him being my great intercessor and my high priest that makes it happen on my behalf. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the greatness of God? Even if I'm unfaithful, even if I can't make it happen, he's faithful. He can't back off of his promises. If he promised it, he's gonna do it whether you believe it or not. You say, well, that ain't scripture. Well, let's stop and analyze that. I realize that there are some of God's promises as provisionary. If you do this and if you do that, I'll do this and I'll do that. And these promises have conditions to them. But there are also stationary promises, folks. That stationary means that God will perform them even though that we can't believe. He cannot lie and he will bring them past. There are two kinds. If they're conditional, yes, you can lose them. But if they're non-conditional promises where God spoke to you, said this is what's going to happen in your life, that's going to happen. Can I have an amen? amen? All right. There's an old song that Gwen and Kathy and Linda Harden used to sing all the time. It goes something like this. God is bigger than all of my problems, bigger than all my fears. God's bigger than all of my mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than any question, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain I can or cannot see. Then it goes on. God is bigger than all my shadows that fall across my path. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all the confusion, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. How many believe that God's bigger than any of your confusion? Bigger than any of your doubt or fear of unbelief. Verse three, or ver I don't know if I got them all in order, but it says God is bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than all my mountains I can or cannot see. Bigger than any question, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain, uh, uh, any, any of my mountains that I can or cannot see. God is bigger than all the giants of fear and unbelief. I love that. God is bigger than any mountain I can or cannot see. How many believe that God's bigger than all the giants of fear and unbelief? God's bigger than your fear. God's bigger than your unbelief. You remember the man that prayed? Father, forgive us if we have unbelief and help our unbelief. We need to pray that from time to time. He's bigger than our unbelief. Let me say it again. Let me make it plain. Let me speak it loud. Let me declare. God is not only able, not only can he do it, he will do it. Now, some of you asking now, put me on the spot, pastor. I've been praying. I've been believing. I've been seeking. I've been, I've been fasting. I've been doing it all. Nothing's happening. There's no movement. You say it's going to happen. Well, it ain't happened. It's got worse. Things got darker. Well, look at the second storm. The Bible says that disciples find themselves in the midst of another storm. If you think the storm you're going through now is bad, honey, you still got a lot in your future. This storm's only preparing you for the next. And how you handle this is going to determine how you fare in the next one. So you might as well get the first one right so you can have easy selling through the rest of them. Can I have an Amen. Everybody looks at pastors sometimes. Man, I wish I had their lives. They don't go through anything. I want you to know if you pinch me, I'll say ouch. If you hit me in the nose, I'll bleed. I'm human. I've wept. I've cried. I've asked. I've questioned. I've wandered around in pity. I've had them. I'm not the only one Elijah did, so don't lose your spiritual, don't, don't lose your, your thought of my spirituality. We've all wrestled with this humanity and in the midst of the storms. Let me say it again. God, God not only can, he will. But look at this second storm. 
Just like the first time they face it, they face it after a great day of ministry, they go into it on a high note. Oh, but their high note's a little different. We'll speak of it in a moment. You know what they just got done just right prior to this? The feeding of the 5,000. I'd like to have been there. I'd like to see two small sardines and a few loaves of bread. Just fill my gut and make me feel like, Whoa. you give me two sardines and a few loaves of bread, honey, and I'm going to be looking for something in the cabinet. Don't look at me pious. I see how much some of you weigh. Amen. But I want you to understand something. Here they are coming off of a high note of the feeding of the 5,000, not counting what they'd done prior to that where they were doing some great exploits for the Lord. The difference in the high note this time is they're not just observing what Jesus is doing in the area of miracles, but they also are being used to participating in the miraculous. Isn't that odd what the first storm done? It created faith to where now they're not just watching Jesus do miracles, they're doing miracles themselves. They've grown. The first storm helped them to get to this place. Hello? Prior to, they just watched Jesus, observed Jesus. But now, man, they're taking the bread, distributing it, and praying over it, and they're ministering to companies of 50s and 100s. And there's, they, prior to that, they're laying hands on people, and things are happening. And the only difference between the storm, this storm and the other storm is Jesus is not in the boat with them this time. Isn't it odd that when you first get saved, man, the presence of God is with you all the time. And the more mature and the more you develop, it seems like that presence lightens. You go into a different level of relationship. It's just like this, get married. Honeymoon's good for a while. Honey, it don't last. That puppy love and them teenage years, hey, that's wonderful, but and all these women and men walking around wanting to search for that all the time, that's, that's not reality. Amen? That's why everybody's switching partners all the time because they're hooked to the fantasy of that feel of that, that, that puppy love. They don't know that love is more than just a feeling. It's endurance. It's patient. It's kind. It's long-suffering. It's gentle. Don't rebuke. Don't believe in the wrong. It always lifts up to the right. Oh, man, that's another sermon, isn't it? But here we see that without a shadow of a doubt, they've grown. Now Jesus is not in the boat with them this time. He had went up on top of a mountain to pray, and he's praying for them. He's interceding for them. Isn't that exactly what he's doing for us right now? And You are not tangibly, physically, seeing or feeling Jesus Christ. You may be spiritually, but Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercessory for us just like he was on top of that mountain for them. But notice as the storm gets severe, what happens? Jesus comes to them. He does not leave them or forsake them. There he is. He comes walking on the water to them, showing them a miracle. Woo, here comes another miracle worker. Here he comes. They think at first they see a ghost. That's a different story. Ain't gonna go there. But it's here that Peter says, Lord, if that's you, let me come out to where you're at. And he says, come on. God's willing for you to take risk and step out on nothing to make sure that God can show you something. Amen? And Peter, man, miracle working Peter. He's walking on water. How many like to walk on water here this morning? Some of you are going to. But Jesus says, come on, Peter. Peter gets out there and he walks. 
We know how he gets his eyes on the winds and the waves and the sea. And guess what happens? Because of the surroundings and the lightning threat, he comes to reality. Oh, where am I at? What am I doing? Have you ever done something for the glory of God and then doubt that it was God that ever led you to do it? Don't do that when you're out in the sea, son. That's dangerous. God tell you, go pray for somebody and you go pray for them. Then when you come back, sit down, the enemy will come and sit on you and make you feel like a heel. That wasn't God. Man, am I the only one that goes through this stuff? And that's exactly what Peter does. Man, he hears the voice of the Lord and he's obeying the command of God and he gets out there and all of a sudden, man, what am I doing? I don't know if that was the Lord or not and he begins to sing. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And what's so beautiful in this passage of scripture that the Bible says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and got him and lifted him up. Immediately. I love that. Man, when you're willing to take risks for God, God's not gonna be against you. And when you fail, he's right there to pick you up. He'd rather you fail trying than fail by not trying. Amen? Man, if you want the impossible, believe in something and try it. Dare to do something. Be something different. Be a sea walker for heaven's sake. The other disciples were in the boat. They never got out. Then Peter said, or uh, Jesus said to Peter, why would you doubt? Jesus can handle a little bit of doubt, but this time the disciples have grown in their storm because they did not assassinate the character of God. And let me say something else. Jesus' statement to Peter was not in the form of a rebuke, but it was in the form of a question. Matter of fact, he even told him, be of good cheer. <laughs> he wasn't rebuking them this time. He said, hey, it's time to rejoice now, boys. Be of good cheer. I'm here. Woohoo! We come in the house of God and sometimes Jesus said, hey, guys, cheer up. I'm here. Hey, I'm up here, Bob. Don't you see me? Well, man, we're in the middle of a storm. I don't care. I'm here. I'm present. You ought to be rejoicing. Remember what I taught you the first time? Don't panic. Don't get out of sight. And now he's saying, hey, guys, be of good cheer. It's me. I've done been through you with this once. Now can't you learn? It's time to rejoice. I'm not here to rebuke you anymore. And the main point of this is when, when did Jesus come to them? Because I'm gonna answer some of your questions about, well, man, I've been praying. I've been doing everything I know to do. He's not come through for me. He comes through for others, but he don't come through for me. Why am I got all this trial and other people don't seem to have it? Don't ever judge that because that is hypocrisy and it's self-righteous. You don't know what anybody's suffering. You're not going through anybody's shoes. Though some can see it on the outward appearance of a physical condition, there's a lot of spiritual turmoil in people that you can't see. And let me tell you, you can't judge what you're going through by what somebody else is going through. It's unfair to judge them. Am I helping somebody here today? You just do not realize because she covers it. Well, what Sister Marvin has to go through living with Bill? God knows her. She can handle a big load. But notice when Jesus comes. He comes to them on the fourth watch of the night. Fourth watch? What's the first watch? From six to nine. What's the second watch? From nine to midnight. What's the third watch? Midnight to three in the morning. What's the fourth watch? From three in the morning to six a.m. You know what that tells me? that the fourth watch of the night was the last watch of the night. These guys endured the storm all night long, even past midnight. 
You've always heard about the midnight hour. God will come through before the midnight hour. He didn't for them. Everybody said, oh, wait till that. One minute till, you know, we get God in these boxes. And we tell him, we think we know what the midnight hour is. Midnight comes and he still don't show up. Ask Mary, ask Martha. Hey, bub, you're four days late. I'm not late. I've told you before. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Don't you understand that, Martha? Don't you understand me? Hello? God's never late. He's right on time. And let me say this. Delays are not denials. When life doesn't make sense and when nothing seems to happen, remember this. God gave me this many, many years ago and I forgot about it. And my I, I gave advice to Josh Reasons one time and he spoke this the other day in my office. He said, you remember me? He said, you said this to me and I just it just burned in my heart. And he said, I've remembered it. And he said, I just got to share that with your son this week. And I said, well, what was it? And he said, it was this. When you don't see Jesus' hands at work, just trust his heart. I ought to write a book on that. I'll get rich. <laughs> Woo! And if I put it in Dudley Lango, they won't understand it. Amen? And the real truth of the matter is, when you don't see God's hands at work, trust his heart. He'll always come through for you. He'll always do good by you. Amen? God would rather you doubt his ability than to doubt his willingness. We must not only believe that he can, but we must believe that he will. You know what the Bible says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Whosoever come to me, I will in no wise cast him out. Amen? Look, Jesus said this in John 6, Thank you, Zach. You read it. Wow, we've been in confirmation all week. I didn't tell him what I was preaching. In the world, you shall have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to be distressed. You're going to have frustrations. But be of good cheer. Somebody give the Lord a cheer. Come on, be of good cheer. Let me say it again. Oh, palace of praise, be cheerful. Ah, one more time. We might as well be cheerful for God the Father, for God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Yeah! There's no sense coming here with their heads down, hanging down. Oh, well, me. You know, sometimes you can look over and say, boy, I'm not going to ask them if they're, if they're in a storm. They're going to sit and talk to me for an hour. <laughs> and there are people that you just dread asking them, how are you doing today? They'll tell you. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we might as well be, be a good cheer. Hey, we've done been through. If y'all all raised your hand, you've been through storms, and what have you learned about it? You can be cheerful in this one. Hey. Don't be bummed out. You've been through enough storms. By now, you ought to be cheerful in your storm. By now, you ought to understand how this thing operates. Hallelujah. Ah, boy, I'm preaching to the choir right now. He said, be a good uh, cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Be certain. Be expectant of the thing hoped for because the evidence of things hoped for come to pass by faith. Come on. For I've overcome the world, he said. In this world, you have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of its power to harm you. I have conquered it for you. Now, hold, this is the most important part. It is crucial that we understand what Jesus is actually saying here. When he gave his life on the cross of Calvary, he didn't just atone for our sin and save us. Thank God for salvation. Would you do it right now? Come on, give him praise. The greatest gift of all. He died on the cross to save us. 
But he didn't die on the cross just to save us and to atone for our sin. But he defeated the devil and forever broke the power of sin and death. And because of his victory, you and I can have victory. So what does that mean in the context of the storm? We have to see that victory is our starting point when we go into battle or face conflict. You and I are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from a position of victory. What does that mean? While this does not eliminate the trials or the trouble from coming away, it does provide the right perspective for our stance in battle against the enemy. Our success, our failure during darkened times and difficult times that does not hinge on the circumstances changing. It hinges on how we respond to the trials and the troubles that we face. Take courage, saints. We have already won the victory before we ever even step into the storm. Do you remember before the first storm, the disciples were seeing Jesus heal the leper, the palsy, Peter's mother-in-law, all the sickness, casting out demons? The very next verse says this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He'd done all that, and then he said, this is to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy over you. Our victory does not come in the hour of our deliverance. We think victory comes when the storm's gone. Our victory came from the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already done. We were delivered before we ever even entered that storm, friend. Amen? If I was a betting man, and if there was a spiritual time that you could put up bets, I'd always put up bets for the believer because they're going to win. They can't lose. Why? Because victory's already been accomplished through Christ 2,000 years ago. Today I'm going to have Gwen and Kathy and Brother Bibi sing that old song that I referred to in this sermon. It's going to be my altar call. I'd like for my, 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 my musicians and everybody to get ready. And as they sing it, if you're faced with a difficult situation, if you're sick, afflicted, bruised, or discouraged, if you're fearful or you need anything whatsoever, folks, I want you to start your way down this altar before the elders and the staff. They're gonna come in just a minute. Elders and staff, get ready here in a few minutes. And they're gonna anoint you with oil as they sing this song. And when you come, I want you to believe that not only that God can, but he will rescue you. Let today be the starting point. If it doesn't come at the first watch, if it doesn't come at the second watch, if it doesn't come at the third watch, then you speak your healing, you declare your promise, every day you confess your miracle and not attack or assassinate the character of God. Don't charge God foolishly with questions and comments and attitude and anger and bitterness. Only believe because victory is yours. I have a little granddaughter. I don't know how many of you know this. It's a sad thing. I've cried. I walked the aisles. I've prayed. I've been fasting. But she's been born deaf. She can't hear a thing. Got a bad report from Children's Hospital that didn't look good for the implants or nothing. We were praying for that and nothing changed. She went up there, come back, and the reports were not good. I don't know when she's going to hear, but she's going to hear. I'm cheerful. How do I know that? I'll tell you how I know it. Matthew eleven five. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. That's my promise. <laughs> Woo, that's my promise. 
So every day, instead of whining, crying, and pouting, and worrying, and fretting, and seeing everything dark, doom, and gloom, that little girl's gonna hear her papa's voice. She's gonna hear me preach. She's gonna hear her mom's voice, her dad's voice. She's gonna hear the preached word of God. Every day I get up and say, hey, Juliet, you're going to hear in the name of Jesus Christ. I pick her up and I'll put her up here where she can see me. She's always bending, looking at lights because she can't hear nothing. And I pick her up and I try to get her face, and when she finally focuses on me, I start talking to her. And this is the way I talk. Oh, baby doll, you hear your papa. Your papa's gonna talk and you're gonna hear in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, you shall not be deaf. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of deafness. And I speak that every day, every day, every day, every moment. Every time I hold her, I put my fingers in there and say, in Jesus' name, here. Well, it ain't come through at the first watch yet. We're still in the first watch. But if it don't come through till the second watch, I won't just keep on doing it every day. Every day, every day. If it don't come through in the second watch, I just keep doing it in the third watch. If, if she come, don't come through in the fourth watch or the third watch, I'm expecting, uh-oh, I want to tell you, sadness may be through the midnight hours, but rejoicing's about to come at daylight. Ha, 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 ha. Hey, 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 hey. I believe. I said, I believe. Little old Samuel said when she was born, I knew something was wrong. Except she born healthy, all the signs and all the improvements, and finally the last test they done before she left, it says, well, she flunked our hearing test. That's nothing uncommon. Don't worry about it. may have fluid on the eardrums. Sam said, when I picked that child up, I knew something was wrong. And when they said that, it was like I knew her hearing she couldn't hear. So I didn't go around confessing that stuff, but I knew it. And he said, but inside of me, there was an inner peace, Pa. Dad, there was an inner peace inside of me. Now, there are gonna always be moments Come on now, we're human. There's gonna be moments. But you know what, me and Sam's been talking and we've been sharing faith and he said, I don't know. He said, Dad, I don't know what me and Ashley's gotta prepare for. Sometimes all these questions, let me, this is something for some of you. You say, well, you know, if they start trying to get help through sign language and start early to keep her ahead, that's what they tell you to do. Get in there early, get help. So if they do that, is that a sign they don't believe that God's healing? Well, let me ask you If your little baby's got diarrhea, do you not change the diaper because you think it's doubt? Woo, come on. You do all that you know to do. And you stand. And you believe. And you love. And you're patient. And you learn. And you grow. Do I like this? No. I don't like it. But nevertheless, through that girl's deafness, God is about to get glory all over this place. You know what I need? I just need a church every morning to get up with me and say, hey, Juliet Miller shall hear today. Juliet Miller shall hear the voice of the Lord. Juliet Miller's gonna be healed in the name of Jesus. Every day of my life, I get up and I do my normal praying. And we got people that are under the gun in this place. I begin to lift their voices to God. 
And I pray over them. And I begin to believe. I am believing more now than I've ever believed. We're in the season of revival. And we, we right now, it's here. Let's quit waiting on it. It's here. Let's start flowing in it. Dear Lord. Because there's two things that always happens during revival. There is blessing and there's chaos. Because revival brings the everything out. Can I have an amen? There's blessing, there's confusion. There's blessing, there's war. Revival, we think it's a utopia where nothing goes wrong. Revival sparks warfare. So the greater the battles, the greater the revival. We're talking about taking this country by storm. We can't do it without the miracles and signs and wonders. Would you stand with me, please? uh, All the elders line up up here, get you a bottle of oil, all the staff. All my staff members. Now listen, staff. I want you to believe with me. If you don't believe, go sit back down. We believe. Do you believe, Brother Thomas? I believe. I believe. Do you believe, Gary? I believe. Hallelujah. How many believe with me today? Miracles are going to take place. Now, let me... These are elders, and you know what? And you'll have to share oil. We don't have enough for everyone, probably. But listen to me. These elders that went through storms, they have learned. But they're not people who watch for miracles. They're people that's about to be used in the gift of faith, gift of healing, and working of miracles. And when they sing this old song, Gwen and Brother BB, and, and uh, or ever who's singing with you, I don't even know. But you start singing, and as they start singing, you start coming down, and you come with, and you say, well, we're just believing. I don't have, it. I don't care. If you're in the first watch and it ain't happened, you bring that need every time. Present it to God, because I believe God's going to heal it in Jesus' name. Come, would you? He's bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain I
If you believe that God's bigger than all your mountains of fear and unbelief, if you believe that God's bigger than your trials and shadows that come your way, I want you to give the Lord some praise in this house. Let this house recognize the sovereignty of God. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Keep exercising your faith. Yes, bring him up here. Lay hands on him, Gary. Lord, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus. My kid shall be healed in the name of Jesus. God, that you're going to strengthen him. You're going to deliver him from the hour of his affliction. He goes into this thing with victory. The air shall go to those lungs. Lungs shall be healed. Strength shall come to the legs and body and everything that is coming against him. We rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ. We rejoice that you're going to heal, that you're touching even now. Oh, Holy Ghost. Rise and be healed, Mike, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. One more time, would you give the Lord praise? Hallelujah. We're going to pray for everyone that keeps coming up as long as we, they're here. But we want you to enjoy your evening. We want you to come back tonight. We're believing God for a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. May the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.